Welcome to another message from Ron Heitman, lead pastor at Evangel Church. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information on Evangel Church, visit us at evangelchurch.cc. Great to have everybody. Let me make just a quick uh, announcement. For those of you that are wanting translation into Spanish, you can turn on right now and we're going to be interpreting to you uh, during the rest of the service. So Pastor Carmelo is going to be interpreting So anybody that wants Spanish. Isn't that cool? I like that about our church. It's also great not only to have our Spanish language service represented tonight, but also our Indian language service. Can we give welcome to those guys tonight? It's awesome. Great. Then saw some friends from Elgin, from Elgin Highland. Man, great to have you guys. Let's welcome them. I don't know if I've missed anybody, but everybody else, just really thrilled that you're here tonight and uh, glad you came. Thanks, worship team. Uh, we saw some of our Spanish worship team and our English side worship team mixed together. That's really cool as we worship God tonight. Okay? Um, our uh, guest this weekend, tonight and tomorrow, and then Sunday again, we get to have him for our both services on Sunday morning, is a very close personal friend of mine. Jeff Leak and I met our freshman year of college. And uh, we met uh, playing basketball. Uh, that was his sport, not my sport, but uh, they let me kind of hang out with those guys that were much better. I just beat on people, all right? That was my job. Just go in and wear people out, Ron. Uh, he was finesse. I just, you know, as a matter of fact, I, th- this I remember about you. He, he was a hustling machine, man. Point guard, they always stuck me down the in the meat area uh, with all the big guys. I guarded guys. I remember one time I guarded a guy that was seven foot tall. I, I came to his armpit, okay? And uh, just that's who I had to guard those kind of times. So I just pushed and shoved and elbowed. That's what I did. He was running like a madman all over the floor, okay? They, after, or sometimes even during games, he would get, uh, he'd get the LeBron cramps. That's what he'd get in the cramps. How many of you know what I'm talking about? LeBron's cramps a couple weeks ago. Wasn't that awesome? That was so cool. I was so glad to see San Antonio win. Anyway, he'd get these cramps in his calves and he'd be over. I just want to confess, I never massaged his calves. I just want you to know that. Never did that. But uh, yeah, but uh, when they had to massage his legs, they were always massaging my elbow because every time I got the ball, I was shooting it. <laughs> they had to ice it down all the time because I loved to shoot. It didn't matter whether it goes in. I just wanted to shoot, okay? But we had a blast in college. And I want to say this to every man in this room. Would to God that every one of you had a man that's a friend like Jeff Leake is to me. If you read your Old Testament, David and Jonathan had a really cool friendship. A phenomenal friendship. They didn't care about who was king or who wasn't king. They didn't care about that stuff. The scripture literally calls it a sworn friendship. It was a a friendship based on their commitment to God. And because of that commitment to God, they had an incredible sworn friendship. Jeff and I have had that now for good grief. How many years has it been now? 25, 28 years? It's too long, okay? But... uh, we were uh, best men in each other's weddings. Uh, he pastors a great church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, in the northern hills, the northern suburbs of Pennsylvania. It's a phenomenal church. And uh, I, I think back when he went there, the initial time he went there to be a staff pastor, and what they told him he would do was nothing that he ended up doing, but he was faithful in what God told him. It, it's, in, in my mind, he probably doesn't see it this way, but I see it as a, a real Joseph story. It wasn't, you know, you know, the highlight of ministry that he thought he was going to get to go tackle. But he was faithful with that. And through the years, God brought him to the point of being the lead pastor of that church, where he's been a part of that church now for over 20 years as their pastor. It's a church of, of multiple thousands. They've planted many other churches This is why I love his heart. God spoke to him a couple years ago about planting more churches. He's planted multiple churches around their church. But a couple of years ago, God spoke to him to plant 100 churches in the next 10 years. How many of you know that's a massive, massive vision? But he didn't know how he was going to do it. He knew he'd need uh, 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into the millions to do it. And I can tell you this, by the end of this year, which is, it's two and a half years right now, by the end of this year, they will have 38 churches planted in less than three years. That's pretty phenomenal. And you say, well, why do you tell us that? I'm trying to relate it to you and whatever God speaks to you. It is not too great for God to accomplish in any man's life what God speaks to you. And I want that kind of guy speaking into my life. And I'll tell you, right next to Tamara and Jesus, there's nobody closer to me in this world than my friend Jeff Leak. And those are the kind of men of God we want around us that will challenge us, help us be more like Christ, challenge us to, if there's a weakness in our life, to hold us accountable. Those kind of men. And that's what I pray that you guys will have amongst yourself, that you will have those kind of sworn friendships in a relationship that you both have with God that will make you what God wants you to be. So, tonight, would you give a warm welcome to my buddy, Jeff Leak? okay? Love you, man. All right, guys, so great to be with you, and uh, I think, you know, of all the things that Ron said in the introduction, the thing that I, I treasure the most is that I've been a good friend and that I have a good friend. There are a lot of things that, that you do in life, but friendship is something that you really grow to evaluate and appreciate even more. By the way, it's 32 years, that's how old we are, guy, that we have been friends together, that's a long time, and uh, we're really glad that you're here tonight. You know, there's a couple of unusual things that we just did together. I, I have been in church all 50 years of my life, okay? My dad's a pastor, and I grew up in church. I have never seen anybody chase a chicken around the altar. That was a first, first for me. Never saw that happen before, all right? So there's a couple of unusual things. First, we saw some chicken chasing going on, okay? And then, and then the second thing that's unusual is that there are a whole bunch of guys in church on a Friday night. A lot of guys doing a lot of things tonight, but you're here in church, and I think there's, there's something to be said for that before we do anything else. It's just, you need to hear, man, I'm proud of you. You're in a good place, and uh, you're pursuing a really good thing, and uh, so why don't you just turn to your neighbor and just say, hey, way to go, man. You're in a good place on a Friday night. I'm proud of you. This is excellent. Yeah, an- another, another unusual thing about tonight is that the whole, the whole weekend is called Fight, Right? Now, you would think in a church, you would have a series on making peace, not on fighting. It seems like an oxymoron that we'd be talking about fighting. But what we're really talking about is the the reality that there are some things in your life that are worth fighting for. Don't you believe that's true? So, So we as men of God need to learn how to get in the right fights. And if you're in the right kind of fight, you can't afford to quit right? If you're fighting for your marriage, if you're fighting for your family, if you're fighting for your children, if you're fighting for a dream for the future, if you're fighting for a a ministry that you want to see birthed, if you're fighting to get past an, an addictive habit, if you're fighting to break out of depression, if you're fighting to break the chains of what past generations have always been held by, but you want to step into something better, if you're fighting to see God do the thing in your life that you've been believing for that hasn't yet come to pass, if you find yourself in the right fight, then you can't afford to quit. And, and you know what? The choice not to fight is a choice to lose. You know, so if you say, ah, I don't know, if I'm not, not ready for this, or I'm not sure I even know what to do with this, and you just stand on the sidelines, well, if you don't fight, then automatically the result of that will be that you will lose. And so there is something, I think, inside of us guys that when we hear the word fight, or we, we hear the description of what we've been talking about this weekend, there's something intrinsic in every one of us that, that, um, that just feels this, this you know, I don't know, you just want to kind of pound your chest a little bit, right? Because you want to fight for the right things. Some of you said amen, but I think maybe in a men's conference like this, rather than amen, we ought to do like that. Can we just practice that? Can you do that one? Point at me like this. Okay, on three. We're going to pound your chest twice and point. Ready? One, two, three. All right, there you go. Look at your neighbor. Do the same thing. Pound twice. Yeah, give them. There you go. So we we want to we want to rise up. And you know, if um if if we could take some time and sit around in small groups tonight, everybody here would have a fight story, right? Don't you have a fight story? How many of you have a fight story you could tell about when you were in a scrap somewhere? Okay, let me tell mine. I was in seventh grade. I was minding my own business. I was walking down the hall. I went to get a drink of water at the water fountain. I bent over, 
I was getting the drink, and the guy behind me, I don't know why, his name was Jeff also, I don't know why, he was in a bad mood that day, whatever, he pushed me into the water fountain. Yeah, so I, I looked up at him like this, and like, what's your problem? I went back down, I got another drink at the water fountain, he pushed me again. So I turned around, standing up against the wall, he's now standing right here, he's just a little shorter than me. I said to him, I'm not scared of you. And the next thing I, I, I knew, he had popped me in the jaw. So he took a swing at me. I remember that impact of the pop in my jaw. And then, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but when you get hit, sometimes you just react and you don't even realize what's going on until it's a couple of steps down the road. So I got popped in the jaw. And the next thing I remember, I had his head right here. And we were kind of walking down the hall. And I was hitting him. And he was squirming away. And you know what happens in junior high when there's a fight? What happens? Everybody gathers, and they say, fight, fight. There was a big crowd in the hall, you know. We're going around. The teacher came and broke it up, and when I let him go, he popped me again twice, got in two more shots. And so we went down to the principal's office on that day. Now, this was 1978. Yeah, a long time ago. And what we did in 1978, discipline for fighting in the public schools, the principal had a big paddle like this. And he said, I can either call your parents or you can get two swats. Well, it was the manly thing to get two swats, right? So I took the two swats. Now, that's a different era, huh? How many of you lived in that era? You remember that day? Yeah, took the two swats, went back to my class, a hero, not only because I took the swats, but because I stood up to the bully, and, and it was quite a day. Now, I got to guarantee you, if you tell your fight story, it's, it's a story where you win. Isn't that right? Nobody tells the stories where they lose. They only tell the stories where they win. And there's something now about us as we grow up to be men of God where we want to fight for the right things. Now, there's a book that recently Craig Rochelle wrote about this idea of of being a man of God and fighting a a spiritual battle. Here's what, what he said. He said, I read a book recently that suggests that our culture has tried to turn the good men into women, nicer, softer, kinder, more compassionate, and fashion savvy, he said. Forgive me for stating the obvious, but men are not women. Can I get an amen somewhere? <laughs> for the record, men don't make, excuse me, women don't make good men either. After all, God created us differently. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Both men and women reflect the image of God, but in distinct ways. Then he said this, I'm convinced that one of the most profound ways has to do with how we use our manhood. God created men to have the heart of a warrior placing a desire within each of us to stand up and fight for what's pure, for what's true. A man has a warrior's heart. You have a warrior's heart. You have an itch to fight. That's God's design, not ours. That doesn't mean that men should be aggressive, alpha bully punks, nor does it mean that women can't fight for what's right as well. It just simply means that within every man, God has planted a divine desire to fight for righteousness. And this is what we're talking when we're talking about fighting. If you're in the right fight, you can't afford to quit. So are you in the right fight? You know, there's some fights that you're in that aren't the right fight. You can actually be fighting for some things that are wrong or fighting in the wrong ways or maybe just in a place where you're battling with something that's unnecessary and you just kind of need to let it alone. But if you're in the right fight, that you can't afford to quit because there are some things that are worth fighting for. And the second thing is, this is where we're going to spend most of our time for the rest of the evening, and that's this. It's not just am I in the right fight, but who am I fighting against? This is what we're going to talk about now. Because when we're talking about a spiritual battle, now the dynamics of spiritual battle are totally different from that junior high, middle school battle I had with Jeff in the hallway. Natural fights and spiritual fights really have different rules and they require different skills. And becoming a man of God requires that you learn how to fight spiritually and that's something that's far different maybe than what you have experienced up until today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and we're going to study a passage of scripture there in the book of Ephesians. We'll also, I think, put the verses up on the screen here if we can as well as we're going to walk through Ephesians chapter 6 together, all right? We're going to walk through some of the verses that are here, all right? Here it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Here's the challenge. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. So the book of Ephesians is a letter written to a local church in the city of Ephesus. And it really is a manual, all six chapters in the book of Ephesians, which is a book in the New Testament. It's a manual on how to have victory in spiritual warfare. 
So he gets to the end of the book now, and he says, finally, after everything I've said to you through this book, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So everybody say, be strong. Okay, so the challenge is step up now to the battle at hand. Verse 11 then, he says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, a couple things we'll point out here. Some of you maybe have been going to church all your life, and others of you might be new to Bible reading and to some of the verses that we're going to talk about. So I'm going to take the time to explain a little bit of what's contained in this verse here. First, we need to understand that what the Scripture teaches is that we are in a spiritual battle and that there are forces that are invisible to us that are fighting against us. The, the, the character named here is the devil. And who is the devil? Well, the devil, according to what the scripture teaches, is an angel that was created by God for good, who rebelled against God, and in his rebellion became twisted in his nature, and now we call him the devil. His created name was Lucifer. Now he became twisted in his nature and is at war with God. And so the devil and demons are also fallen angels that rebelled against God and that are at war with God are now trying to wreak havoc on planet earth. And this tells us that these invisible beings, the devil and his demons, have schemes, strategies, that there's plans that they make to try to destroy you and your marriage and your kids and your future, they want to pull you off track and bring you down to a place of pain and destructiveness. And so we're in this battle that happens, and we have this struggle against these invisible forces to us. Now the next verse, verse 12, says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now here's, here's what I want to point out to you, that's this. This verse teaches us that our primary struggle is not with people. We, we often time, tend to think that my problem is my wife or my boss or my problem is my mother-in-law or my problem is my neighbor or maybe we think like this, my problem is myself and if I could just deal with this natural situation or maybe my problem is a set of circumstances that I find myself in, if I could just deal with these natural things that I see, then everything would be fine. But the scripture says that your primary problem is not with flesh and blood but against rulers and authorities, against the the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So now it tells us not only does the devil and the demons have a strategy against your life, but they have rank and order like a military um, you know, organization where you have your generals and you have your, your ranks of authority and there is this strategic advancement to try to wreak havoc upon the world. This is what the scripture teaches that we face all the time. Now, I know know that for some of you who are new to Christ or new to the Bible, or maybe you've been around for a long time and and you've heard about the devil and you're not not quite sure even what you believe about this concept of the devil and demonic forces and is this really real and how is this even practical to my life if this is true. So so let me give you an example of, of, of how this affects us. I'll use this example like this. Okay, if you've been to the ocean, you know what it is to feel the current that comes into the shore. So if you're going to body surf or you're going to surf or boogie board or whatever, you've got to walk out far enough against the current to get out to a place where the waves break and will carry you into the shore, right? And as you're going against the current, you actually have to forcefully walk against what will push you backwards if you're not intentional about it, right? So you're walking against the waves and you walk a couple of steps, when you get out deep enough, that wave crashes, you brace yourself against that wave, right? Or else it'll knock you off your feet, and then you keep on walking, and you're walking against the current that you feel until you get out to the place where, where you can turn it around, you can ride it in. Okay, the other thing about it is if you happen to be in the ocean, and uh, you're standing out there just relaxed, isn't that kind of a nice thought? Wouldn't you like to be there right now? Can you see yourself? You got your Bermuda shorts on, you got a nice iced tea, you're standing out in a beautiful ocean shore, and it's a wonderful day, and you're just standing there, and the waves are pretty strong, and they're crashing against you, and you're just standing out there hanging out. Well, if you're not careful, the current will not only push you back towards the shore, but you've experienced this before, right? It actually will make you, every time you get hit, you'll stumble a little bit in the direction that the current's trying to take you, and without even recognizing it before long, you'll be down the shore quite a ways. And if you've ever done this before, and you've looked up to say, hey, where's my stuff? Someone took my stuff. Well, actually, it's way over there, because gradually, you've been being pushed all the way down the coast, and you didn't even recognize it was happening. 
Now, what's this have to do with spiritual warfare, what the verses that we just read? Well, you see, while demons and the devil, while angels in heaven are, are invisible to us, they're very real because you can, at times in your life, feel the current of evil that hits you. Like you'll be going through a day and all of a sudden you just start to feel heavy. Or, or, or you make some progress in your spiritual life and then all of a sudden it feels like nine things go wrong and they're just, it's almost like it's been coordinated. Have you ever had that experience where you say, what is going on today? Because this thing happened and that thing happened, the other thing happened, then I got in this argument with this person and my wife called and this happened and all of a sudden there's like nine things that pile up and before long you feel rocked by the current against you. And when you begin to feel rocked and off balance, then it starts to bring you down a path to a place you don't want to be. Then you're more susceptible to temptation. Then you're more ready to be depressed. You're more ready to give up. You, you lose track of where you want to go. And if you're not intentionally walking against the current of evil in this world, you're going to be dragged down the coast to a place you don't want to go. Or you're going to be pushed backwards and you're going to lose the progress that you want to gain. And, and even if you say, I'm not sure about these invisible beings, I'm not sure I even know quite how to get my head around this, you at least have to admit that there is this sense of spiritual heaviness that we at times feel in trying to make progress in our personal and spiritual life. Well, Ephesians chapter 6 is really teaching us how to fight against that, how to deal with that. In fact, if you'll give me the next slide, here's what that slide says, winning battles in the heavens, in the invisible place to us, and in this realm that we call the spiritual realm, makes it possible for me to realize victories on this earth. Because you see, um, you just say, all I want to do is make my marriage better. You know, Pastor, I just want to make my marriage better. I'm not going to worry about all that spiritual stuff. Well, you and your wife together are battling against this current. And if you don't deal with the current, dealing in the natural with stuff is not just, is just not enough. You say, well, I just want to beat this addictive pattern. I just want to get out of this financial hole. I mean, I just, I just want to advance in my career. You know, I just, I just want to, I just want to get past the wounds of my past. Well, if all you're dealing with is the natural circumstance and you're not realizing the waves are hitting you every couple of minutes this wave's hitting you and you're trying to stand your ground but you're being pushed back because there is something more going on in this life than just what you see with your own eyes or you feel with your own natural emotions and if you're not taking into account the ability to overcome in the spiritual realm then you'll really never experience the kind of victory that God designed for you to experience So now I want to walk you through the rest of these verses here that are in Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to give you just three thoughts here now that we need to to learn how to deal with. The first one is is this. Don't let the devil distract you. Don't let the devil distract you. How can this happen? Let's talk about how. Okay, I'll give you a real life example. I've been married to my wife Melody now for almost 27 years. We actually have five kids. Our oldest son is 23 and our youngest is 14. And, uh, you know, I remember now, this is about 20 years ago, that it was a Saturday afternoon, and my wife, when when we first got married, and Ron can attest to this, in our early dating years and in the first few years of our marriage, we really battled it out together, okay? My mom and dad seemed to have the perfect marriage, and I don't even remember them ever arguing. I remember one time my mom and dad had an argument out in the backyard. They took it outside so that we wouldn't hear what was going on. And I could hear them, you know, kind of raising their voices. And I could see them pointing at each other. And because they had never fought before, I thought this. Now, you think this is crazy. I thought, I think my parents are going to get a divorce. Because they had their first fight in front of me. I was like, wow. So when my wife and I were fighting every day, and I was supposed to be in the ministry, and we're having all these problems, I thought, man, something's wrong with us. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. What's going on with this? And we had to navigate through a whole lot of stuff. I remember one Saturday afternoon, we were having another one of these arguments, you know. I guess we were both firstborn children, both, both kind of dominant personalities, and we had to learn how to make that work. And we were having this debate back and forth, and I was trying to make my point. She wasn't getting the point, and I kept saying the same thing, and she kept not understanding. I don't know if you've ever been in an argument like this, but I just was going on and on. Finally, I could feel my anger rising, and I thought to myself, I better get out of here before I say something I don't want to say. And so I, I stormed out of the house, and I said, I, gotta, I just got to take a drive, and stormed out of the house and slammed the door a little bit so she'd get the point that I was a little upset, you know, and got in the car, 
and I drove down the road, and I just talked to God. I'm so thankful that when I'm all worked up, I can go to God and talk very honestly about what's going on in my life. You know, even when I'm wrong, God still hears me out. Aren't you thankful for that? I was just telling the windshield in the Lord, I don't know what's wrong with this woman. How come she can't understand this pretty simple stuff? I mean, my goodness, it's, it's like the ninth time we've had this conversation. God, you've got to do something about her because she's just not getting it here, and this is frustrating, and I don't know how I can work with this. And as I finished and took a pause, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. Now, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and he gives us impressions, and he will give us an impression of certain thoughts that God wants us to understand. I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me. Your wife is not your problem. <laughs> just like that. And I would pause, like, no, but she is my problem. Did you just listen to everything I said? I mean, and then again, I felt the Holy Spirit say, your wife is not your problem. So then I paused to ask, well, God, then what's the problem here? And then I felt he said this to me. Your problem is the devil's trying to get in between the two of you. And I remembered this verse, that, that it's not about flesh and blood, but it's about principalities and powers. And then, then the natural thought occurred to me. It happens to be Saturday afternoon. I've got to preach tomorrow morning. I'm having this big old battle with my wife. Maybe, just maybe, the devil's trying to keep me from focusing on what I need to focus on by causing all this upheaval in my home. So I turned the car around and went home and found my wife. I said, I'm really sorry. My attitude was wrong. I shouldn't have slammed the door. I shouldn't have raised my voice. I, I, really, I really, you know, I wish you'd understand this, but you know what? It doesn't even matter anymore. Please forgive me. I said, and here's what God said to me. You're not my problem. The devil is, and we need to get on the same team and fight him together. And if we do that, we're going to be okay. And then she said, you're right. I was wrong too. And I know what you were trying to say. In this area, you were right. And you know what? That's all I wanted to hear anyway. (laughs) Honestly. But when I took the pressure off and we started going in the right direction together, all of a sudden, we moved toward one another. She laid her hands on me, prayed for me. God, give my husband strength as he preaches the word tomorrow. It's powerful because I lifted my eyes off of the natural and got it onto the real battle that's at hand. So you can't let the devil distract you from the real battle that's happening. Because this this current that keeps hitting you, and you've got to learn to overcome it. Now, I'm going I'm to give you, I'm gonna give you an, another illustration of this. I actually have a good friend of mine. He's a pastor in Columbus, Ohio. His name is Greg Ford. And Greg decided to do a sermon series called Fight. And as the illustration for it, he trained for nine months to get into the ring with a heavy white fighter. And he actually fought the guy for three rounds. And he learned a lot of great things through his training process. One of the things that he learned was what to do when you get hit real hard. Okay, so one of the things that happens in the ring, right, is you get hit hard and you get disoriented. And how do you deal with this? So this is a little video clip of Greg and his trainer, and the trainer's teaching Greg now how to handle it when you get hit real hard. So let's look at this video together. Mike wanted me to experience what it would be like to, uh, to take a big shot in a fight. This little drill is one of my favorite ones to do to people when they're first starting out without actually hitting him really hard in the head and giving him a little bit of brain damage in order to simulate your body not working and still having to function when you know it's not functioning right, I'm going to have him spin in place for about 30 seconds till he's completely disoriented. He's like, I want you to spin around as many times and as quickly as you can in 30 seconds. 30 seconds doesn't seem like a long time until you spin around as fast as you can for 30 seconds. And then I'm going to have him throw left, right, left, right, left, right, as fast as he can, as many times as he can, while he's trying to keep his feet underneath him. You'll start to see why boxers start stumbling around a lot after they've been hit. This actually might be kind of funny, because sometimes guys go flopping all over the place. It's pretty comical. I just got to watch it that I don't get hit, though, because sometimes the punches go kind of wide, so... I mean, I was completely disoriented. I didn't know which way was up, which way was down. I think he had to, like, tap me on the shoulder for me to even know where he was. Everything was spinning so quickly. You, I, you couldn't even see me. Don't puke right there. My phone's right there. I was totally okay? disoriented. And so Mike says to me, he says, look, man, uh, we're going to do this again. He said, you, you, you got really mentally lazy right there. 
He said, you, you, your mind was all over the place. He said, your feet came together and you almost fell over without me even touching you. He said, I want you to turn around. I want you to get a solid base underneath you. I want you to sink your butt and I want you to throw basic punches. He goes, go to what you know. Go to what you've done thousands of times. You've got to orientate yourself to do, go back to your basics, jab, straight right, cover yourself, protect yourself. I didn't think it was going to work. But we did it a second time, and I did it. I spun around 30 seconds, and he said, turn around. And as soon as I turned around, I just thought about keeping my mind focused, keeping myself focused, and, and staying as mentally tough as I could. Got a good base, sunk my butt, and went back to what I knew to do, throwing one-twos, just throwing basic stuff. And when I went back to the basics and got a good base underneath me, I'm telling you, I got my bearings back within seconds, probably five, six seconds all of a sudden, it all came back, and I wasn't dizzy anymore. All right. Hope you picked up on that. So here's what he said. When you get hit hard, what do you do? You go back to your foundation. You sink your butt. He said, you protect yourself. You throw the basic punches. Same thing is true. You know, when you get hit by life, you got to go back to the basics. You stand on the Word of God, which is your foundation. You pray, you forgive, you love. You, you do what, what you know is the basics of what it is to follow Jesus. You get your guard up and you stand aware and you get your focus back on the right thing. And when you do, you put yourself in a position to succeed. Because you know, when you get hit by life and the devil's causing that current to come against you, that's when you get disoriented and you start to wildly swing, right? You saw him in the first little clip. People do stupid things when they've been hit by life, to make it worse and compound the problem because they don't go back to that solid place where they can succeed and have victory. So the first thing here is don't let the devil distract you. Let's talk about number two. The second factor here is don't let him own you. Don't let him own you. Now, we're going to walk through some of the verses here. But I have learned from my kids this vernacular to be owned. Uh, my kids say it a lot when they play video games with one another. If one beats the other, they say, I own you, Right? Have you how many have heard that expression before? Okay. I'd tell you, one of my proud moments, my son Josh is at, at college, and he's a sophomore in college, and last year, uh, due to the wonder of YouTube, I was able to get a glimpse into his life in the dorm. Now, Josh is thinner than me, shorter than me, and it, it wasn't raised to be a boxer. He's more of a musician, okay? And there was this taller guy on his hall that kept tormenting him, Okay? And he kept saying, I'm going to take you down, Josh. I'm going to take you down. He kept wanting to wrestle him. So all of a sudden, Josh says, let's go. So now they're in the middle of the dorm, and one of Josh's friends is capturing this on his phone, right? So they're rolling down. Everybody's laughing. They're rolling and wrestling back and forth. Well, then finally, somehow, Josh had learned some sleeper holds or whatever they're called, you know, wrestling moves. And so he got this bigger guy down to the ground, pinned him down where he could hardly breathe, and he tapped out. Okay, this is all being captured by YouTube up on Facebook now. He tapped out, and when Josh popped up, he popped up on top of this big guy, and he said this, I own you, man, I own you. And I, I got to say, I know I'm a pastor and everything, but it was a very proud moment in this father's life right there to see my, my, younger, my young son step up to the challenge. Okay, now here's the thing. When you're owned, it's when you're dominated by somebody else. That's the concept. What, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, don't let the devil own you. Because you see, the biggest place that the battle is lost is not out there, it's right here. So here's what he says. Let's walk through these verses. Next slide, if you can give that to me. Um, keep going if we, can, if we can walk through a little bit more. Next slide. Oh, do we not have that? Okay, we're going to have to pull up Ephesians chapter 6 together. So everybody, you have a Bible? Okay. Let me, let me take you through. If you have your Bible, let's look at what it says. So it said, the verse that we saw there, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. The picture here is of like a Roman gladiator. Okay, picture the armor. He says in verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation. All right? The helmet. Helmet is on your head, right? Here's what will apply this. So when we put on the helmet of salvation, we're basically saying, I'm not going to let the devil own my mind. 
The first place I'm going to win the victory is in what I'm thinking. Instead of thinking according to the old discouraging thoughts that I used to think, instead of letting my mind wander down a path of revenge, instead of letting my mind go towards some type of destructive temptation that I know I don't want to get back involved with, I, I begin now to put on the helmet of salvation, you see, because when Jesus saved me, he didn't only just forgive me, he began to transform and restore every part of me, and so his saving work begins to take a pl- uh, effect within my mind, so I don't want to let him own my thoughts. In fact, I'll say this to you. If you can get victory over the way that you think, the rest of your life will begin to work itself out. But when you don't win the battle in your own head, it's very difficult to win the battle anyplace else. So he said, take up the helmet of salvation. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's actually in verse 14. So the breastplate was what they put over their chest to protect this vital part of their body in battle. So we would say, don't let him own your mind. Second, don't let him own your heart. How does, how does the devil own our heart? Well, you see, if you get stabbed by a spear or an arrow, you're, you're going to affect the internal functions of your body. Same thing is true. Life happens to us. Hurts occur. And if we let those hurts, those wounds stick within us and we don't process them by taking them to God and saying, God, I release this to you and I need you to heal this hurt that I've walked through. And we walk around with a gaping wound here in that, that, that center of our being, then we'll never be able to have the, the courage and the strength and the momentum to overcome. So we got to get the things right with our heart so that the devil doesn't own our heart. And then it says in, in verse 14, the second part, you put on the belt of truth. Okay, the belt of truth. These, these things, the belt is what tied everything else together. The breastplate and, and, the, and the, the, the shin protectors and the boots and everything that were a part of the gladiator's uniform were, were, were connected by that belt and the belt of truth, here's, here's what we're saying. First, don't let them own your mind. Second, don't let them own your heart. Number three, don't let them own your conscience. You've got to walk in truth with yourself. Now, here's what I'll say. If you live with secret sin in your life, that will rob you of any confidence in taking your stand. Because if you don't have truth in the inner places of your life, When you go to step up against the devil's current that's hitting you, here's what will happen. You'll take your stand. No way, devil, you're not going to come in here. You're not going to affect my marriage. You're not going to do this to me. I'm I'm believing God for victory. And then the devil whispers to you, oh, yeah, you and I both know what's going on in that secret place. And if everybody else knew, what would you do then? And fear arises. Because, you see, when your conscience is offended, your confidence is gone. And whatever is in your life that only you know about, only you and God know about, that you know shouldn't be there, okay, can God forgive you of that? Absolutely. Does he forgive you of it when you go and ask him? Absolutely. Does he love you in spite of the secret thing that's there? Yes, he loves you. Does he want to use you? Does he have a plan for you? You know, God does not decide whether or not he's on our side based upon whether or not we're performing perfectly. So it really isn't about, will God forgive me or does God want me to go to heaven? No, it's not about that. It's really all about how sharp will you be as a man of God or how much will you allow him to take you out of your game because you're letting something live in your life that just shouldn't be there. You say, well, how do I deal with that? Well, it's not just about going to God and asking for forgiveness because probably you've already done that. It's about going to a brother or a pastor or a friend in confidence and saying, hey, look, I want to bring something to your attention that I need accountability for. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. And if you don't have that belt of truth on, you can't have any confidence or momentum in your spiritual life. The final, the final aspect of the armor that I'll point out here is, is he says, put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is all about 
Now I put my shoes on because I'm ready to go somewhere. This is about living with purpose. This is about I'm walking against this current of evil in the world, not just because I want to be a good guy or I want to be a good Christian or I want Pastor Ron to be proud of me or uh, because I want to do better than I did before. No, this is all about now getting ready to take territory for the kingdom of God. It's about saying there's enough evil that I see present in this world that I don't just want to survive it. I want to walk against the current of evil because I want to see other people rescued from the pain of the darkness and brought into relationship with Jesus Christ. So this is all about living with purpose and having a focus. So we said, first, don't let him distract you. Number two, don't let him own you. And then the number three is don't let him discourage you. The final thing, don't let him discourage you. Because you know what? One of the things that happens is we get hit by the current. We get knocked off balance We wonder, how am I going to make it through this? And we've got to get back to that place where our our base is solid and our confidence is restored. Because, you know, let me just, I'll just kind of conclude with this thought. God never, ever, ever intended for you to lose. This battle that you're in, for whatever it is that you're fighting for, spiritually, never, ever was there a thought in his mind that you would lose. Because I want to tell you this. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, not only did he pay for all of your past sin, But he conquered everything that stands against you. Jesus Christ took in his body, he absorbed in his body the pain of sin, the pain of this world, the curse that came with evil in this world. And when Jesus died and he said the words, it is finished, he destroyed every aspect of the darkness. And when he was buried in the ground, the devil thought he had won the day. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave and conquered death. And he destroyed every power of evil so that we now know that Jesus has triumphed for us. You know, there's a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 that would tell about what Jesus would come to do. And it says that a, a, a son would be born to a woman who would crush the serpent's head. And the serpent is this illustration of the devil. You know, even in the Garden of Eden, we see that. When Jesus rose from the grave, he took his heel and he crushed the serpent's head for us. So, so now, you know, when a, when a snake dies, when you cut off its head, it still wiggles a lot because, you know, whatever reflex is there, but the snake's already dead. You can actually pick that snake up and whip it around because it's not going to bite you. The head is already crushed. I want to tell you this. The devil's tail might be wiggling in your life. You might say, oh, I don't want to touch that. That looks kind of scary. I don't know if I want to get involved in this spiritual battle thing. I'm not sure what's going to happen to me. No, you see, Jesus has already cut the head of that snake off, and already he's defeated the darkness for you. You are not actually winning spiritual victory yourself. You're claiming what Jesus has already won on your behalf. You're laying hold of what Christ has done for you. And you're saying, now I take the victory that Jesus Christ has won for me on the cross and I apply it to every area of my life because it is the will of God that my family live in freedom and in victory. Can anybody say amen? Oh, we're supposed to do like this. I forgot, right? Yeah. It's the will of God that that same old habit doesn't drag me back down the same path again, but that I live free, full of joy, that I live as an overcomer, that I live coming out of this financial pit, that I live breaking free from the depression of the past. That, that I raise a great family, that I can see my grandchildren and even great-grandchildren serving the Lord and living in victory, that my life will have an effect upon this world. Because, see, this is the will of God for you. Not that you walk barely surviving, but that you live a life of absolute and complete victory. And you know what? What's a really good sign for this church and all the churches that are here tonight is that there are some men of God here on a Friday night that are saying we are serious enough about learning how to win, that we want to dedicate ourselves to leading our families and our homes and our businesses and the ministries here into a greater level of victory than what we've ever experienced before. This is the right kind of fight. Now, let me just summarize the application like this. Sometimes whenever we talk about demons and the devil and spiritual warfare, it can be a little, okay, let's just say it can be a little freaky, it can be a little fearful, Sometimes people leave after hearing something like this, and they're like, man, I didn't even think about this before. Thank you so much. I had my natural problems. Now 
I've got the devil scheming against me. This is, I'm so thankful I came on a Friday night to hear that. You know, okay, so now there's this current. I didn't even really think about this before. Now I'm going to wake up on Monday. I'm going to feel this current hitting my life. And then what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm new at this. I don't know that much about the Bible. Now, now you're telling me the devil's against me and I have this in my mind. What do I do? Okay, let me just tell you this. Let me summarize like this. We're going to talk a little bit more about this tomorrow. And I'm going to add to this a little more teaching on how to have victory But I'll just say it like this. Okay, you probably will, now that we've talked about this, be a little more aware of the spiritual battle that's happening around your life. And here's what I'll say. When you feel the current, okay, so if you wake up on Monday and all of a sudden you start to feel like, I was feeling such joy this weekend, all of a sudden I feel heavy, I feel tempted now, and you know, these three things happen that are bad, and then I was, oh yeah, there's a current. I feel that current. Okay, when you feel the current, don't run, don't panic, don't give up. Here's what you do. When you feel the current, use the name. What name you say? Use the name of Jesus. When you feel the current, use the name. The name of Jesus is above every name. The Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We'll say, how do I use the name? You say it like this, okay? Find a place that's private enough where you can say something out loud. Don't do it at your cubicle. You might freak people out, okay? Unless no one's in the office, all right? But find a private place, and you do like this. All right? I feel you. Okay, I feel that current. Let me just serve you notice. I belong to Jesus. He's my Savior and my Lord, and he has overcome you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I declare victory over this attack. You throw your shoulders back, and you say, no, no, no. It's not my victory. It's his. Devil, listen now. I use his name, I invoke his name as the protective covering over my life. And in the name of Jesus, I say, back off. Because I am moving forward against this current, and I don't care. I'm, I'm taking my, my stride for Jesus Christ. Amen? In fact, let's do that together right now. Musicians can come back. Everybody stand up uh, wherever you are. And we're going to just have a little moment of prayer where I want to pray over you. And we're going to use the name. We're going to use the name of Jesus And ask for him to just absolutely and completely cover your life. All right? I'm going to pray for you. And then there will be a couple times I'll ask you to confess some things out loud to God. But just stand before the Lord. Turn your face toward heaven. Put your shoulders back. Just stand there as a man of God. Just stand. God is so proud of you that you're here tonight. He is so happy the steps you're taking. God's will is for you to have victory. If If there is some secret in your life... God isn't pointing his finger at you right now, pointing you out and shaming you. He's calling you forward. He's calling you out. He's, he's saying, come on, we can do this. And, and so now I just want to pray over you. I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ over every man that's standing in this room. And I ask God that in Jesus' name you would cause there to be like a wall of protection around their life, around their family, around their marriage, around their children and grandchildren, around everything that's under their care. We bind the forces of the enemy in the name of Jesus. And we say, in Jesus' name, the darkness is defeated on our behalf. We invoke the name that is above every name. And we say, Jesus, now be the Lord and master over our life and bring about the victory in our world that only you can bring about. We pray in the name of Jesus now that you would push back the current against our life. And God, I pray for every man here now that you would cause there to be this sense of the openness of heaven over them. That, that God, that you begin to now pour out upon their lives every good thing that you have promised for them. Now, if you feel comfortable putting your hands out in front of you like you're receiving something, I want you to just present yourself and everything under your care. Just say, here, Lord, here's my family, here's my marriage, here's my kids, here's, here's my business, here's my life. Yeah, we just present ourselves to you now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Can you just confess this? Repeat this after me. Say say this. In Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, who overcame everything that stands against me, in Jesus' name, I declare victory over my life and everything under my care. I claim the victory of Jesus Christ. And I present myself to you now, God. So why don't you just put your hand on your head, if you would. Just say, God, I give you my mind. Help me to think right. 
Remove the thoughts that are lies. Put your hand now on your mouth now and say, I dedicate my lips to you. May my, my lips speak life. May they speak faith. May they speak hope. On, on your heart, put your hand on your heart now. I dedicate my heart to you. Heal the wounds and the hurts from the past that I can be whole in Jesus' name. Yeah, and your hand's out in front of you again. And now, God, I give you my life. Forgive me for any sin. Free me from any hidden place, any secret sin, for I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name. Yeah, thank you, God. Let's just pray our own prayer of thanksgiving for a moment. Just thank Him, Lord. We worship you, God. Oh, we worship you. We worship you, God. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Oh, we thank you for your presence, Lord. Yes. How many of you know now what to do when you feel that current against you? How many of you know that name is above every other name? And when you take that name into battle, you're going to fight like men of God. Because you've got the name of Jesus on your side. How many of you identified what Jeff was talking about? It, it made sense tonight. It, it related. How many of you, you know the thing that really gripped my spirit real fast, and I'm not going to re-preach, but when he said something about our conscience, we can't be tro- totally truthful. And it, it shakes our courage. Man, that gripped my spirit because I just talked with a, a man this past week. And he asked me, he said, so, and he's not from our church, so don't be looking around like, who, who, who is it? But he was asking me, he said, do you have anything to encourage me with? And I said, what, you know, what did I have from God for him? And I said, well, you know, I, I'll tell you the truth. I don't know if this is from God, but I will tell you this. How come you haven't done what I've asked you to do the last time about getting accountability in the thing that you're keeping secret from the people that you love the most? Why won't you take that next step? And I just lovingly exhorted him because his conscience, his conscience was what he struggled with because he couldn't put that belt of truth on because he wasn't honest with people in his life and he needed accountability and he knew he needed it. And I just want to pray for you tonight in my closing tonight that God would help you because I really felt like that leaped in my spirit that there's some of you here tonight that need to have that belt of truth on. This concludes the teaching. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened. For more information on Evangel Church, visit us at evangelchurch.cc.